Welcome to C3 Church Tubra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. nice to be home. There's no place like home, as Dorothy says. (laughs) There is no place like home, and there's no place like your own bed. I'll tell you that right now. I just, I flopped onto my bed and went, I think I'll stay here for a week. (laughs) It's so nice and fluffy and soft and big and spacious, and it's so good. Especially single beds in Europe. About two years ago, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Julie, you have given so much to so many people for so long. I want to bless you. And I went, well, I don't need to be blessed, God. I am blessed. I'm blessed by loving people. I'm blessed by seeing people blessed by you. I'm blessed by seeing salvations. I'm blessed by seeing the church grow. I'm blessed by seeing the kids grow up in the church. That's They are my blessings. And he said, no, I want to personally bless you. What are the desires of your heart? I want you to get a list out and I want you to write it down. I want you to get a little blackboard, like people have blackboards in their kitchens, and I want you to hang it in the kitchen and I want you to write a list of 10 things that you would really like. So I did. I I got the blackboard. I'm going to be faithful to God. And I sat down and really thought about this list. And so at the top of my list was like, I'd like a nice lamp for my bedroom. That was the first thing. And then I went, mm, it'd be good to have my house painted. And mm, maybe a new kitchen bench. And I sort of like it was 10 things like that. Anyway, one of my dear friends came over and looked at my list and said to me, Julie, you could aim a little higher than that. You know, God wants to bless you. And I'm going, you know, yeah, it was really hard for me. And I thought, okay, God really wants to bless me. And I tried to think a little bit higher, you know, and then it's like, well, you know, I could do my garden up. I was thinking, you know, like I was thinking small. And then my friend said to me again, it's still too small. You need to think larger. Okay. So number one and number two on the list have to be big things. Okay. So I just held my breath and I thought, I don't even think this is ever going to happen. But on the top of my list, I'm going to write a car. Because I'd always, you know, since we've been married, I've been driving kid cars. You know what I mean? Like Toyotas and buses and, you know, everything you fit the kids in. And I'd never really owned a car that I felt like it was my car. And now I was driving Phil's car. I was driving a truck, you know. And it's like, you know, it's nice driving a truck, and I'm thankful, God, and I'm grateful, God, but, you know, it'd be good to have a feminine car. And so, so, so I wrote on the top of the list a car. Never in my wildest dreams. We had no money. I had no idea at the time. We couldn't even afford a cup of coffee. We were just, like, sewed so much into the ministry. We were just broke. And I just wrote, a car, okay. And then he said, what else? And I went, oh, shivers, a holiday, I wrote those two things at the top of the list. Now, then I wrote other things. So the list, things started to happen on the list, you know, just little things, you know, got the lamp. Yeah, yes. You know, God's really blessed me. I got the lamp. Because I'm looking at the first two things there. I'll never get those. I just don't even see how it's possible. It's impossible that that would happen to me. And a few months later, Phil said to me, I saw this car in the paper, you know, and it's, 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 it's really amazing, and I reckon we can do it. And I went, like, how in heck? Anyway, to cut a long story short, we went down, we had this car come around. It was like a little sports car, silver sports car, convertible. And I sat in it, and it was just like, this could never be mine. It's just impossible. And um, anyway, it turned out we got this car for the most ridiculous price ever. And it looks like it's worth, like, so much money. And it was worth a lot of money when it was new. I'm sure it was like a lot of money. But I was just like, I got in this car and I 
put the roof down and I went for a, a drive on the highway and the wind's blowing my hair and I just felt like a young girl and it was like, I felt I had the music loud. I was going, yeah, and I was in the car. And God said to me, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to continue to show you my favour. I'm going to continue to pour my blessing out on you. I'm going to continue to show you that you can walk in my freedom and in my love and in my liberty and that I'm a dad who wants to love on you and, and really bless you. And so when this holiday came up, I just could not, I'm pinching myself and going, this could not be. Like in my wildest dreams, it was like, maybe we could go to Fiji, you know, maybe a week in Fiji. That would be my wildest dream that we could ever afford to do anything like that. But God just went bang, 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 back. And the next minute I know we're visiting 10 nations. And, you know, we're going to these wildest places that I never dreamed that I would go. And I just, uh, uh, I'm still pinching myself. I'm going, you know, wow, how could God do that for me? I mean, I, if he, he did it for other people, I could get it. You know what I mean? You always, you look at other people being blessed, you go, oh, it's so good they're getting blessed. They so deserve that. But yourself, like anybody, is it hard for you to receive? You know, to really believe that you deserve to be blessed or that you feel guilty about being blessed even. Like, I feel guilty. Oh, I should be sharing this, you know. Surely there's other people in the church that could at least go to one nation and I'll just go to nine or something like that, you know. Or, you know, we just share it out. It's just crazy. Anyway, I felt like one of the prophetic people said before I left that this trip is just going to be like a journey for you. And every place that you go, God's going to reveal a piece of his heart to you. There's going to be prophetic download at each place that you go. So make sure you write it down. And so I was prepared for that. I was prepared. I thought, yeah, God, you're going to show me. You know, you're going to give me a greater heart for the nations of the world. And, you know, I'm going to go to the Arab nations and I'm going to, I'm going to get a heart for the Arabs. And, and that would be a miracle. And I'm going to get a heart for the Arabs. And I'm going to, you know, say, you know, whatever. I'm thinking ministry, ministry, ministry. But as it turned out, and I'll share with you, every place, God gave me another revelation of how much he loves me. It was all about me. And I just cannot believe that God would waste so much time on me. Do you know what I mean? Three months. Three months of radically loving me. Um, nonstop. It was so incredible. So the first place we went to, of course, was Africa. And that was a bit of ministry four weeks of ministry in Africa, which I absolutely adored, and I'll share more about that with you another time, and even some of it a bit later, but it was so incredible. And so we get to Jamie and Garth's house, which I loved seeing where she lives, and where Garth and Jamie in their church, and, you know, just seeing her drive in the streets, and knowing that she's quite capable, she's quite capable of bossing all those Africans around and honking her horn very loudly and pushing through that traffic like a little tough little bird. I, I, just, I just couldn't believe it. This shy little kid that I raised, she's like, Bip, get out of the way. You know, she's just like incredible. And she knows everybody in, just about everybody in Nairobi, you know, like she'll be driving on the street, she'll wind a window down, she'll, that's my florist. Hi! And they wave. Hello, Mama Jamie. Hello, Mama Jay. They all know her. She's just so loved. It was so good to see her in her environment and know that, you know, she's just she's just called to that place. So she said, Mom, you've lost a bit of weight. And I said, yeah, I really went on this big diet before I left because I, you know, I just wanted to be fitter and really enjoy this. And she said, great, she said, because I've got this whole gym set up upstairs and I'm going to give you like four weeks of radical exercise. Oh, thank you, darling. It's great. And um, so, you know, she wakes me up in the morning, you know, mum, have a quick breakfast and we're into it. And so we go upstairs into her room. She's got this whole gym set up. She killed me. She literally killed me. I'm saying, I can't take anyone. No, you got to stretch, mom. you got to stretch. And she's doing like these yoga weird positions with me. And I feel like my body is just like, cannot do these things. She said, it can, mom. And then she gets on me and she pushes me and pushes my legs back in weird places. And she's stretching. See that? That's your hip cracking. I said, that's my hip dying. You know, it's like, but she was like, she was... Uh, I was so glad by the time we got to meet Jessica in Italy that Jamie had grown some muscles on me because Jessica's idea of a holiday is, you know, go, go, go and do it cheap. 
And the first place that we stayed on the Amalfi Coast, uh, we had probably between us 120 kilos of luggage between the four of us. In the first place we stayed on the Amalfi Coast, she said, just when we got down to the bottom, she said, I didn't want to tell you before, Mum and Dad, but there's 300 marble stairs up to our accommodation <laughs> and there's no one to help us carry the bags. And uh, they're not just normal stairs, they're like marble stairs. Like they're big and then little, big, little, round corners, slip, 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 slide, 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 through little alleyways, up again, up again, 300, 300! And so I was pretty happy that Jamie had worked some muscles. You know there's 600 muscles in your body? And I realized going up those 300 stairs and back down, you know, we get up the stairs, we've got all our luggage. Phil had 23 kilo bag on one shoulder. And he's like, oh, oh man. You get halfway up, he'd put it down. He's like, oh, I'm dying. Even Evan was dying. Like it was, it was really hard work. And we got all the way to the top. We put our luggage down. We sit down. Evan goes, who's up for a swim? You know, Evan. It's like, now, yes, down the 300 stairs, have a swim, up the 300 stairs. Who's up for dinner? Yeah, mm, down the 300 stairs, up the, yeah, it's like, come on, let's go for a walk on the beach at night. Yeah, down the 300 stairs. Man, oh, man. But, you know, I realized that I, even though Jamie had really killed me, that there was still a lot of those 600 muscles in my body that I had not, <laughs> I had not realized I had. And especially in my Maximus glutamus. It was like, oh, oh man, oh man, oh man. I tell you, that's one big muscle and it hurts a lot. You know, it says here in this scripture, Luke 2:52 in the NIV, it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the 600 muscles in my body and how I needed to grow those. And I was thinking that favor is like a muscle. I mean, if Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God needed to grow in favor with God and with man, how much more did I need to use that muscle to get it to grow? How much more did I need to learn how to receive favor? How much more did I need to learn that God wants to bless me and love me and that I do deserve it and that I am special and that I am his favorite? How much more did I need that muscle to grow? Favor is like a muscle. And from the time that we're born, from the very time that we're born, that we're pushed into this world with a violent thrust, from that very moment, there is a war over our lives between a God who wants to bless us and favor us and redeem us and love us and wrap us up in his arms and an enemy who wants to destroy us and destroy anything in us of the image of God, wants to destroy anything in us of any kind of self-worth or self-love or self-respect. He wants to put us into a world of rejection and fear and, and trepidation. He wants, he wants to set up situations right from when we're children in school where kids are going to pick on us so we start to hate ourselves and we start to dislike ourselves and we start to realize, you know, within ourselves we don't deserve love, we don't deserve favor, we don't deserve because God so wants to pour it out on us that the enemy knows if we just get a glimpse, just a glimpse of the favor and the love that God wants to pour out on us, that the enemy would be silenced, that he would have no hold over us. If we just saw one glimpse of God's favor in our lives, he would be silenced and he would have no power over us. The only power he has over us is our own minds. These minds that have been all through the years since we were born into this world, you know, worked on and, and programmed into this self-hatred, this rejection, and this, this wanting to hide from God. And God is there working on us to renew our minds, to reprogram our minds, to show us that he wants to bless us so much. It's like when we're born again 
It's like when we stand on the altar of God and we give our hearts to Jesus or like myself have a revelation of Jesus in a lonely hotel room. It's like, it's like God comes and he, and he just puts this huge crown on our heads. And there's no way we can fit into that crown. There's, but he gives it to us anyway. He gives us what we, what we don't deserve straight away. He just gives us this huge crown. And it's like we're this tiny little person with this huge crown that we think we'll never be able to grow into. In fact, we don't deserve it. And it, we'll probably have to give it to someone else one day because I'll never be good enough to wear that crown. But it's like he teaches us to grow up into the crown. It's, it's like we grow we grow in favor. It's not like we have to earn God's favor. It's not like we have to grow into it. We already got the favor. The growing is about learning to accept it. The growing is about learning to accept it. Learning to have favor with God. And then when we accept that we have favor with God, we become attractive to man. And we have favor with man. There was not one place that we went on this holiday. And as Phil said this morning, we stripped off our identity. And, you know, you know in your workplace or what you, as a mom or, you know, what you do sometimes can become your identity. And it was almost like on this holiday, God said, take that off. I want you to just be Phil and Julie, my kids. And I don't want you to lead with that card. I just want you to hang out in me. I want to bless you. I want you to just be free. I want you to be crazy kids. I want you to fall in love again. I want you to just have fun for no reason. Just have fun. And, you know, after 20 years of hard work, it's, you forget how to have fun. Luke, you, I heard my husband laugh and I went, what's that? What is that sound? And he was laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. One day on this cruise, <laughs> we were on this cruise on the Croatian coast. And it was just 31 people on this boat. And, you know, no one really knew what we did or what we were because we just wanted to, you know, we didn't tell anyone. We just went, it's Phil and Julie from Australia. That's who we are. And, um, and so we were just hanging out with these people, these 31 people from different nations of the world, a lot of English people. And there were some Russian Jews there. And it was just amazing. Well, we just made best friends with all these people. We just... We just fell in love with them, didn't we? And it was so good to hang out with unchurched people and not feel like you had an agenda, just to hang out with them and get to know real people in real time, you know, have a whole week where we could just hang out. Anyway, we were just really enjoying it and laughing and dancing. We were laughing and dancing and laughing and dancing and laughing and dancing some more and singing. We had many sing-alongs. Yes, we know all the songs from Sound of Music. Do a dear, a female dear. We sang them all. We sang them all. It was the funniest crowd you'd ever want to be with. Anyway, there was this one day where there was a big paddleboard on the boat and um, no one had tried it out. It was a blow-up paddleboard, by the way, a blow-up paddleboard, a really hard blow-up. And I had wanted to try a paddleboard for so long. Is that what you call them? Paddleboard, Yeah. And we would go to Diamond and I would watch Chris and Andrew's brother and these guys on the paddleboard and I would sit on the sand and think, oh, I'd love to have a go at that, but I was so afraid of looking like an idiot. Anybody ever have those times? I just didn't want to look like an idiot. Like, what if I fall off? And what if they just say, what's that old bag trying to do, you know? And I just thought, no, I didn't do it. Anyway, this paddleboard is just sitting there and there's all these people on the deck of the boat and we pulled up at this swimming spot where you can just jump off the back of the boat into the Adriatic Sea. Incredible. And no sharks. Luke, you could just jump into the sea and not even think about do-do-do-do-do-do-do. You didn't have to think like that. It was like, oh, you know, move your legs and nothing's going to bite you. It was so nice. Anyway, I just looked at this board and then all these guys started to try and use it, didn't they? And all these fat English men with these big bellies and these skinny little wobbly legs. And they were getting up on this board and they and then they'd fall off and everybody would laugh and then someone else would get up and they're all like this. I said, look, let an Aussie girl out this. <laughs> I did. Because I thought, I'm all right. No one knows me here. I can be. And so I got up on this board, <laughs> didn't I? And I conquered it. And I stood up on that thing, no dancing muscles, and thank you, Jamie. And, 
And I'm like paddling and I'm paddling and I went right around the boat. They're all cheering me on. Julie's a champion. Julie's a champion. I'm just like waving with one arm without falling off. (laughs) It was so cool. It was so cool. And I felt like it was another glimpse of God. I don't know, just letting me get in that sports car and, and let the wind through my hair and, you know, just be me without feeling like I was in a fishbowl of critical people, which you can be like as a pastor, by the way. And um, there was one day, Phil, I, I just, so funny. There was this English guy that always wanted to, you know, have competitions with everybody. Let's just have competitions about this and about that. He even wanted to do a pole dancing competition. Well, he had this big gut like this and these skinny legs and this 70-year-old Englishman doing pole dancing. It wasn't the most attractive thing, Luke. But um, anyway, I didn't take him on. But someone else did, this little Italian girl from Sydney. She took him on. She was a, she was a lot better than him. Anyway, but um, anyway, so he says, okay, everybody, we're going to have a, a diving competition. Who's, who's going to have me on? We're going to dive off into the Adriatic Sea, and we want everyone to score who's the best diver. And Phil says, I'll have you on. And he says, right. So it's him and Phil. So this guy dives in, does this big belly flop, you know, and everybody's going, boo, you know, like naught. And then Phil dives in, he gets a two. And then the guy says, no, this is too easy. You know, we have to make it harder. So he gets this, like, uh, what do you call those life-saving rings? Yeah, and he puts it in the water. He says, right, we've got to dive in. We've got to dive through that, you know, into the water. And he says, I'm going first because I'm the champion. Anyway, he dives in. Of course, he's a big, fat guy. And he lands in upside down and gets stuck. And his legs are like, like this. And he's upside down. And Phil jumped in trying to get him out, but they were both laughing so much they're nearly wetting themselves. And they were all just going around in the water trying to get And I've never heard Phil laugh so much. You, were, you could have heard it for miles. He was just laughing and laughing. It was just, anyway, how did I get there? I don't know. <clears throat> A crown too big to grow into. <laughs> just being free to be ourselves, you know? Like, it's so important that God teaches us in his favor to be ourselves and to be free to be ourselves, and to be free to be, to be me, because God made me the way I am. And it was just an amazing thing to conquer those things. And do you know, at the end of that um, cruise, um, I, I led three people to the Lord, the Israeli Jews, and a little Italian, little Italian girl from Sydney who's gonna come up and visit church. And another guy we took to C3 London. When we went to London, he was from London. We met him there, took him to church for the first time in his life. He's 50. Took him to church for the first time in his life. And, and at the end of that cruise, we revealed who we were. And they were asking us things. They were, you know, we were solving marriage problems. We were, and they're just going like, you guys are amazing. We're never going to forget you. Because it was like the favor from God. Like, why is it, they would say, why is it you always get the best seats? Or, you know, why is it? You know, you always, this happens or that happens. Or we go to a market and, you know, we get the best price on something. How come you got the best price? It was like the favor of God. People were seeing the favor of God on us. And then they were saying, what is it about you two? And it was the most easy witnessing we've ever done. Because as Phil said, it was like we weren't, it was like, we've got to talk to these people so I can get them saved. It was almost like, I really love these people. And I'm just being me. And in being me, they're seeing Jesus in me. It says in Zechariah 2, 8b, God says this about Israel, for whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. Israel was the apple of God's eye. It means that you are, God was saying, you are my favorite person. You know, he's saying that about you right now. You are the apple of my eye. You are my favorite person. You're allowed to say that. If someone says to you, you know, you know, how do you feel about God? You say, oh, I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. And you think, how can that possibly be? How can we all be God's favorites? I don't know, but he's just amazing like that. I mean, I'm sure you don't have a favorite child, do you, Cam? Sarah, do you have a favorite child? I don't. Like, you know, when all my kids are standing before me, it's like, they're all my favorites. They're all incredible. How could you compare one child to another? They're, they're all my favorites. And they're all incredible, and none of them could do wrong in my eyes. 
And in the Old English, the pupil of the eye, the round, dark center of the eye, is called the apple. It was thought that the pupil was a round object, much like an apple, a piece of fruit. But when you look at someone, their reflection appears in your pupil. So what God was saying was, you're the apple of my eye. Your reflection is in my eye. You are always before me. I see you all the time. Every time I look, I'm seeing a reflection of you. And if you would look into my eyes, you would see the proper reflection of yourself. Wow. The other thing is that the eye has eyelids. And when we're in in that revelation of the apple of God's eye, he closes his eyelids over us and puts a protective coating over us to hide us when there's danger around. It's amazing, isn't it? You are the apple of my eye. Wow. But see, Israel, through lack of using that muscle, through lack of understanding, although God would say, you're the apple of my eye, I want to bless you. Wherever you go, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the land of milk and honey, and I'm going to lead you out of, in, out of the wilderness into prosperity. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to fight your enemies for you. I'm going to give you all these things. My presence is going to go with you. My provision and blessing marked his favor, his protection. And the battles that he fought for them marked his favor. In fact, people would say, don't touch those people because God is for them. Be careful of those people. But you see, Israel didn't understand that, just like we don't understand it. We don't get it. And so, you know, they moved into rebellion and they moved into adultery and they, they, they worshipped false idols and they, they, just, they just forgot God and they whinged and they complained and they became all fleshy because they couldn't get this revelation that God, that they were the apple of God's eye. I think that the entire Old Testament is just, it's like a love story, isn't it? The entire, entire Bible is like a love story, but the, the Old Testament is just love story between God wanting to bless Israel and Israel rebelling, and God wanting to bless Israel and Israel rebelling, and God wanting to bless Israel. And, you know, even Jesus, when he stood and he said, oh, you know, oh, 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 Israel, oh, um, Bethlehem, was it? What, what, what town? Jerusalem, how I long to hold you like a mother holds a, a child. If you would just have known, if you just have seen, if you just have known that, that I come to bless you and to love you, his heart was to, to show us these things. The Old Testament is this love story culminating in the greatest acts of love that the world has ever seen in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting, everlasting life. From Jesus' birth, his relationship and commitment and ultimate obedience grew in God. Do you know that we, we have favor in God? It is free. It's been given to us. But we can choose to walk in that or be like Israel and be rebellious towards that. You know, I know that when my kids are good, well, my kids, they're up here now, now the grandkids. But, you know, when they're good, you want to favor them. Is that right? Like, you know, they're being good. You want to bless them. You want to show them. And when they're rebellious, do they deserve a treat? That's probably not a good parenting technique, is it? Hey? Bribery. Not although I did use it once on Jamie, and it did work, but we won't talk about that. You know, it's not the best technique when a child is being really rebellious, really rude, you know, about the age of 13, all you parents out there, maybe 10 now these days, they maybe start being, I hate mum and dad, and, you know, just horrible people. You know, you don't want to really go, oh, I'll buy your car, you know, like, you know, you're just, you're just not in that mood to bless. So... It's like we can walk in this blessing through our obedience. You know, it's there for us. But the more that we're obedient, the more that we love him, the more that we serve him, the more that in the secret places of our lives we make those adjustments. It's like the, the, the more that we fit into this crown. I think it's the secret things. You know, I felt that was a word for you, Maddie. I think the secret things, in the secret places that the... 
the wrestles that you have with God that no one knows about in the secret places, they're the things that are going to make you fit that crown. And, and people may never know about it. You know what I mean? Like me getting blessed on this holiday, you guys, you don't know. You have no idea. For the last 36 years, the intimate struggles that I've had with God as I have fought my own rejection, as I've allowed him to break down my own heart, as I've allowed him to, to renew my mind and take away the things that the enemy has done to me so that to reveal his love to me. He wants to reveal it to each one of us. There was one, there was, you know, so many times that he, that he showed me things on this trip. And I mean, it's, it's another book. But there was a time when I was in school and I was about, I was 14 actually, and I was on television on the weekends and how many people know that doesn't make for popular at school? And so they would see me on television on a Saturday and then Monday I would come to school. We grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, it was, you know, pretty rough. And I would come to Monday at school and there'd be kids waiting outside, you know, chats, chains and bats and you know signs and we're going to get you today if you enter this place and and so I got a beating just about every day and it was hard I couldn't get on the bus so I'd go home with black eyes and you know it was, was was tough it wasn't just like you know little little kids fighting I mean these were serious serious beatings and there was one day I went to school and um, everything was really quiet and weird and so I went up into the music room where I used to hide, and I used to just play piano and stay on the second floor in the music room because I had no friends and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm playing the piano, and I'm just singing there, and I heard this ruckus outside, and I went outside the room, and I looked down on the quadrangle below, and the whole of my form were on the quadrangle below with, with, with bats and chains, and signs, today is the day you're going to die. And um, uh, cockroach, they used to call me cockroach because my name was Connell. Today is the day you're going to die, cockroach. And so they had locked the teachers and the, the principal in the office. They were all locked in and they had the megaphone. And there was one girl who had tattoos all over her and she had a heroin needle and she was going to inject a lethal dose into me and the whole the whole uh, mob was cheering her on to do this. And I was on the second floor and they came running up the stairs and I locked myself in the room and they smashed the door. And Anyway, the only, the only chance I had to get out of there was to jump off the second floor out of the window. And it was like just grass below, but it was a long way up. And um, so I did. And I jumped out and I swear to you that these hands caught me. And I, had no, I had, did not believe in God, had no understanding but these two big hands caught me and rolled me out onto the grass. And I went down across the road into a creek, hid in a big stormwater drain, and just I could hear them all running around looking for me, and I just stayed in this stormwater drain and hid. That was my last day of school. And so at 14 years of age, I got special permission to leave school because I just could not go back. You can imagine the trauma. Anyway, so the, that, the, the sound of that mob was always in my head. You know, that sound of that rejection, that sound of like, you know, we hate you. And it was pretty violent stuff. And one day, years ago, I was in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said, I want to show you something, Julie. And um, I went into this vision. And in this vision, I was standing at the back door of this enormous cathedral. And there was this beautiful music playing. It was like angelic voices singing. And I was dressed in a bridal gown. And I could see Jesus at the altar, standing at the altar waiting for me. And he was beckoning me to come to him. And I was standing at the door and I could see all the crowds that were sitting in there. And I could hear the sound of the mob, you know, going, you know, they're, gonna, they're all going to talk about me. They're all going to hate me. And I, how can I walk in there? How can I show myself to him when they all hate me? And, I know he loves me, but they hate me. And it was really difficult, and I stood at that door, and, I, and he just reached towards me. He said, Julie, just look at me. Just look at me and come. Just look into my eyes and come. 
And as I started to walk down the aisle of that church, one by one, the people started to turn around. They go, isn't she beautiful? Oh, she's the most beautiful bride I've ever seen. Isn't she glorious? And I heard all these voices and I couldn't believe it. They were saying nice things about me. And it was just incredible. They were rejoicing in my victory, you know, instead of, you know, yeah. And it was just so beautiful. And I walked down the aisle with all these voices saying, she's gorgeous, isn't she? I could hear all these whispers. Oh, she's beautiful. Wait till he sees. Oh, my gosh. She's the most beautiful bride I've ever seen. And as I stood before him and I looked into his eyes and locked eyes with him, he said, you know, you are, you are beautiful, Julie. You are to be praised. Your beauty is to be worshipped. And he put a crown upon my head that actually fitted and he gave me a scepter. And the next minute, the place where I was standing was like a pedestal and it started to lift up and up and up and up and up. And as, I, as I, the pedestal rose up, he's standing there looking up at me. The whole crowd's looking up at me and they all stood and started to give me a standing ovation. And it was just like all the rejection was just shattering off me, shattering off me as he showed me, you know, how he feels about me and how his people really feel about me and how what it's going to be like in heaven, how all these things are not going to be there anymore. And he was healing my heart. And as we went right up, he took me to this, this house. He said, come on, I'll show you the house that I'm building you. And this house was just glorious. It was all white. It was white lounges. It was white walls. It was all concrete white. And it was just the most glorious room. It was just, just the most beautiful place. But right up the top was this little um, sort of cavity. And there was a harp in there that was playing by itself all the time, just playing for me, just playing so that I could worship Jesus. And, I, and he just looked at me and said, I've got to go. And I said, I understand. And I stood in this room and I started to worship him on the top of my voice. And his heart's playing along. And the next minute I heard in the next house, another voice. And the next house, another voice. And the next house, another voice. And then the voices all joined together. And this incredible sound of worship was going up to him. But every now and again, one voice would stand out. And I knew that he could hear all of us, but he could hear one. He could hear all of us, but he could hear one. It was the most incredible sensation ever. Anyway, one of the times we were on our trip, we were in um, Italy, and it was just like we'd seen that many cathedrals and historical places. I was over it. And Phil says, oh, I want to go and see this cathedral. I said, no, nah, the cathedral, like, really? And, you know, can we go look at some art or something? One more building, one more piece of stone, one more statue. I just, oh, really? Anyway, so we went in there. I thought, I'll just sit over here and they can, you know, those three can just go and look at this cathedral. I can see one more statue, one more thing. I'm just going to sit here. And I was just sitting there. Next minute I started, the whole front of the cathedral, it was a massive cathedral, and the whole front of the cathedral was sort of roped off. And I thought, oh, they must be going to have a service later. Next minute I started to see all these people, really well-dressed people, like Italian rich people, walking in their furs and their pearls and coming down and sitting down. I thought, what's going on? What's going on? Anyway, I thought, what, what's happening here? And the next minute I heard this voice, like an angel, singing Ave Maria. And I'm, I'm standing there, and it's like this voice, like I won't try and sing it because it was soprano. Mary could do it, maybe, or Fleur, but it was the most... And I, my mum used to always sing that song. And so I'm standing there, I'm bawling my eyes out because I'm listening to my mum sing. I'm looking at this cathedral, I'm kind of thinking, this looks really familiar right now. This feels really familiar. The next minute somebody said, it's a wedding. There's a bride coming. And there was hundreds of people in the streets gathering to see this bride get out of the car because it was a really rich Italian wedding. It might have been mafia, I don't know, but anyway. And, and um, anyway, so we stayed to watch it. And the weirdest thing happened. When she got out of the car, the whole street erupted in the most the loudest praise and cheering and clapping and standing ovation. And I'm just standing, my mum singing Ave Maria, and they're down there clapping, and I'm reliving this whole vision, and God saying to me, you see, you see, you know, this is all the things that I've done in your life. It was just one of the moments that he reminded me of the love that he'd lavished out on me. And then we went to um, Greece, in Greece, and I said to Phil, when we're in Greece, it's just one place, it's the only place I want to go where I had this feeling about this place, Mykonos. 
And I said, when we go to Mykonos, I want to splurge. We can stay in three-star everywhere else. I want six-star in Mykonos. I don't know why. I just know, and we're going to stay there six nights and just do nothing. And we turned up at this accommodation in Mykonos, and I walked into this incredible apartment that they took us out the back to, and it was white round walls. It was like this white furniture, and I just stood in this room, and he said, this looks like your house, doesn't it? And I walked out, and I could see the, the whole, the ocean there. It was just, oh, my God, it was just surreal. And it was like he was reminding me over and over again, you are the apple of my eye. You know, I'm going to keep reminding you. I'm going to keep telling you. I'm going to keep breaking this rejection off until you will receive my love and understand my incredible favor for you. Amen. When we were in, um, just let me say this. One of the greatest battles that I've had to face, and probably all of us do, is that I had to always lay down my need for the popularity of man and choose God's way every time, even if it meant I was misunderstood and misjudged. Maybe I lost friends. Maybe I lost family members. Whatever it was, I knew that I had to be, in my heart of hearts, I had to be obedient to him. It was just, I wanted his popularity more than I wanted the popularity even of family members. I wanted to serve him with all my heart. And I think that's an important, an important battle that we have to face and we have to keep conquering that. We have to keep conquering it. So I just tell you, to close, we, we, um, when we were in Africa, we went into the Congo. And that was an adventure, and I'll tell you more about that later. You need to know that you're called to go to the Congo, don't you, Cam? Um, because if you're not called to go to the Congo, don't go. <laughs> it was like, but I loved it. I loved it. The minute we got there, like we're at this border, and there was all this corruption, and there was this stuff going on, and there was like people that looked like they wanted to kill you and rob you everywhere. And it was just like, oh, I love this place. I just just get my teeth into this place. And, you know, we went to this church first. They took us first to this first church. And um, it was like a bit of a surprise because this other denomination wanted us to preach in their church. It was a Swahili service. And it was a very religious church. And I could feel the religion of the place. There's so much religion in Africa, so much rules and regulations and religion and not much love. And a lot of, everyone goes to church, but they don't know why they go to church. It's just, they do it out of fear, you know. And so we preached in this first place and, and Phil was preaching and they put us up all on the platform like Benny Hinn people. It was really weird. And I'm sitting on the platform feeling like a celeb, but it's really weird. Then... Bill got up and he's preaching and the interpreter's preaching through him to this big church. It was about 250 people each service. And um, he was doing so well. You did so well, Don. You're just amazing. Just so amazing. I was just sitting there in awe of you. And Garth got up and shared a little and I thought that was amazing. And then I looked around and I thought, I'm the only woman on this platform. And there were all men in suits. And I went, uh-oh. And, and then I looked down, all the pastor's wives were down on the floor. And I thought, uh-oh. Maybe they don't let women speak in this church. And I said to Garth, Garth, they probably don't let women speak in this church. He said, yeah, probably not. We'd better try and get a message to the interpreter to tell him not to call you up. And I said, yeah, you better do that. So Phil finished preaching in his style. And then he said, right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to my glorious wife. And it's like, no. It's like, stop. Like, but anyway, I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to submit the way these guys did to standing back here box with one of those little things like this, like a priest, you know, I said, I cannot do that. So I said, okay, if I'm going to preach, give me a mic, give me a mic. And I just went right down the front where the people are, and I just started prophesying over people and people crying. It was just, it was just so amazing. I'm just reading people's mail and then I told them my testimony. It was just really powerful. Anyway, so we go to the next church through these dirt alleyways and kids running out, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's the only thing they knew in English, all these little dirty kids running noses, and they all wanted to shake your hand. They're filthy, they're filthy. I just had that stuff in my bag, you know, every time. They were just so gorgeous. You just want to hug them and eat them. Just gorgeous kids, filthy kids, but they were gorgeous. 
Anyway, we got to this other church and there was 40 ministers in this church, 40 hungry ministers, some from other denominations who were just hungry for anybody to come into the Congo and feed them. Like, you know, they were just like, feed me. Because no one wants to go to the Congo and these 40 ministers never have a relationship. They never have encouragement. And it was just so great. Anyway, Phil got up and, and did his thing and he was incredible. He was incredible. He preached better in Swahili than he does in English. And he was incredible. I'm sitting there going, you're so good. How can I follow that? And then Garth got up and did his teachy thing. And I went, oh, damn. Garth's done a teachy thing. And, you know, these people love teaching and they're all taking notes. And I'm thinking, oh, man, how can I get up there? I'm a woman and I tell stories. I tell stories. I'm a woman who tells stories and I've got a revelation of the love of God. It's all I've got. And I'm thinking, oh, and I'm freaking out. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? So I got up and I heard God say to me, just be you. They don't need another Garth. They don't need another Phil. They don't need another teaching seminar. They need a revelation of my love. And so I got up and I told them this story. So when I was eight years old, I was searching for God in my heart and no one knew about it. I was questioning, is there a God? And would, it, would a God love me, a child that was so abused and felt so filthy and so rejected and, and so unlovable? And, you know, every man in my life had been horrible to me. And would God want someone like me at eight years old? Would God want this dirty little girl? And I, I was questioning it. And a little girl at school said to me, do you want to come to church with me on Sunday? So I'd love to go to church. I'd love to go to church. It's good. You can come with me and my family. We'll pick you up Sunday morning. So Saturday night, I got my best party dress out and I, I couldn't sleep. I'm going to meet God tomorrow. I'm going to meet God tomorrow. I can remember thinking, I'm going to meet God tomorrow. I'm going to meet God tomorrow. I was so excited. Anyway, we got to this church. Of course, it was a Catholic church. I didn't know the difference between churches or anything like that. And everybody was doing their thing. I didn't understand one thing. I didn't care. I was going to meet God. I was going to meet God. At some point in this church service, I was going to meet God, and I was so, so excited. Anyway, there came a point in the service where they all went down to take communion, and they were kneeling down, and they would put the the wafer on their tongue, and then they would give them the wine, and the priest would pray for them, and I thought, I'm going to meet God. I'm going to meet God. So I walked down the aisle, this little eight-year-old child, and I'm like, got my bottom lip starting to go, and I knelt down before the priest. I'm going to meet God. I'm going to meet God. And the priest looked down at me and said, are you a Catholic? And I looked and I said, I don't know. And he just went like this. In front of the whole church, just pointed and said, you know, get out. And I just turned around and I walked back. I said, I thought God would want someone like me. I thought God didn't like dirty girls that had been abused. I thought that's what, I knew that. I knew God wouldn't really want me. Eight years old. And it wasn't until I was 21 that Jesus came into my room and revealed himself to me because he couldn't stand to see me suffer anymore because he'd asked so many Christians to come and talk to me and not one had come. Not one had come. And I told the story of this. And there was two Presbyterian men sitting there from a Presbyterian church in their stiff suits and they looked really... While I'm speaking, you know, I thought, oh boy, these guys are really offended. And then at the end of it, I looked at these ministers, I said, there are eight-year-old children standing outside your churches right now that need the love of God. There are sinners out in the street that need to know that Jesus forgives sinners. There are people who need the love of Jesus, but you only minister to the religious. It's time to minister to the lost. Anyway, I sat down whoops, you know, whoops. And um, anyway, then they had this question answering time at the end. And these two Presbyterian ministers stood up, speaking in Swahili to the interpreter, waving their arms around, quite loud voices, quite excited. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what, they're gonna, I could hear my name mentioned. And I thought, oh boy, I've blown it now. I've really blown it now. Like these guys, they're just going to hate this. And afterwards, the interpreter said, would you like to know what they said, Pastor Julie? And I went, no. 
No, I didn't. I said, oh, okay, you know. And the interpreter with tears in his eyes said this, these two Presbyterian men came here today because they thought that they needed something fresh from God. And they need you to know that there are eight-year-old children outside their churches that they never let in. They need you to know there are sinners outside their church that they never minister to. They need you to know that they don't have the love of Jesus. But the two of them today, with tears in their eyes, have said they're going to commit their way to God. They're going to repent and they're going to go out and find the people that need love and they're going to change their whole church. And I just went, oh my God. You know, God, when you just be you, when you just receive the favor of God, when you just realize that, yes, it's a big crown and I don't fit it yet, but I'm growing into it. When you, when you just, you know, give yourself some slack and, and allow yourself to make mistakes and know that he's going to love you anyway. And, and when you just when you just get on that paddleboard in front of a whole boat and say, stuff it, I'm going to be me and I'm going to conquer this thing, I'm going to conquer this fear. And when you walk through a crowd and you've heard the mob mocking you, but you choose to look at the eyes of Jesus and follow him anyway, you will be blessed. And the favour of God will follow you as he reveals his love to you and you'll grow up into that crown and you'll get those muscles and you'll be the most beautiful, desirable people on the earth and you will find favour with man. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.